Crank up the volume and get ready for real-world bird hunting by listening to the Wingman Podcast by Eastman's. Now your host, Todd Helms. Hey, Wingman fans. This episode is brought to you by... Hey, guys. Waiters. Waiters are a key component to waterfowl hunting. The Sitka Delta Zip Waiter in my mind, was a revolutionary piece of equipment. I've been a fly fishing guide for, man, over a decade, as well as a big game hunter and, of course, a bird hunter, waterfowl especially. And I've worn every wader practically known to man, from neoprene and the old school canvas with polyurethane to the first zippered waders, right down to stocking foots, boot foots, you name it, I've worn it. Sitka hit the nail on the head uh, with this Delta Zip waiter. I've got a quick story to tell you because I could run down through all the features on this on these waiters and talk all about those, but I'd rather tell you a story when those waiters not just kept me in the field, but probably saved my life, to be honest. It was on a late season goose hunt on the river, one of the rivers that we hunt here a lot in Wyoming. And we'd knocked down a big volley of geese and we had, you know, had two dogs. Dogs were doing lots of work. Guys are out in the current doing work. And we had a couple geese get downstream of us. Normally these birds would be gone, but we were able to run down the bank. I was able to run down the bank with my lab, Mackinac. And he, I sent him on a bird and I thought, I can get this other one. I didn't know that the main river channel cut close to the bank. The water was murky. I took about three steps. And as I take the fourth and I'm reaching almost almost with bird in hand, I go in the drink. And I'm not talking like I fall in. I'm over my head swimming in February in a icy, slushy western river. I got a hold of the bird. I turn and I start side stroking back to the bank. I'm in water. I'm not sure how deep it was, but it was over my head. I couldn't touch. The belt on the Sitka waders kept water, as much water as possible, out from those waders. They didn't fill up. It's kind of a wives' tale that your, that your waders will fill up if they're belted and worn correctly. They, the waders' design kept the water from filling up and taking me down. I was able to get back to the bank, scramble out. It's cold. I mean, we're looking at single digits. And I went back to the blind. Again, I've had the right layers on that I've talked about in, I've talked about previously. You guys have heard me talk about layering with the Sitka system. But inside those waders, what that what ha- what started happening was the walk back to the blind got my body, got my heart rate up and got my body heat, my body core temperature elevated a little bit as well. And I was actually able to start this cooking process where I got the inside layers warm and they started to dry through that thermo Genesis, for lack of a better term, those waders, I started to dry from the inside out. And because the Sitka Delta zipper waders breathed so well, that perspiration and that water on the inside was literally cooking its way and breathing its way out of the wader. I went back, standing temperature that day without wind was like five degrees, six degrees. And I thought, man, I might be done for the day. I got back to the blind. I thought, yeah, we'll see. Birds are flying real good. I can always walk out of here. I got back to the blind. I put another layer on the outside to help trap some heat. I think it was a, a Dakota hoodie, actually. And I stayed for another three hours. 
by the time I got home, not only was I still, was I warm, but the layers, my base layers against my skin were pretty much dry. And the outside of those waders was breathing and transferring so much moisture that it was freezing on the outside of the waders. And I was scraping it off on my fingers like frost on a windshield. I felt like that was the biggest testament to the technology and the purpose-driven design that Sitka puts into not just their Delta, their Delta zipper waders, but every piece of equipment that they make. Um, that's my life or death story with Sitka waders. Yeah, they very well may have saved my life. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Wingmen Podcast. In the same place with this time, the owners of this shindig up here, I've got Kyler Knelson and Norman Peters. And you guys run this show and you pawn it off, all the hard work off on those two clowns. We sure do. Sitting over there. <laughs> well, we got out and had a good hunt this morning with you guys. You guys joined us for the first time this week. But we've been chasing bears with Norm all week long. Yep. And... First of all, thank you for having us, and thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for coming up. It's been, it's been a hoot. It's been the best week so far this season. That's, it's it has been the best hunt. One probably the most memorable hunt that I've ever done. You know, from ridiculous geese, ridiculous goose hunting, to the bear hunting is out of this world. And to Brandon's rodeo that we had with his, with his bear, we had to leave it overnight. Yep. And we'll get into that in a minute. But Kyler, t- tell us about Wingmaster Outfitting and the other side of your your company as well, because you're you're a man of many <laughs> colors. We'll put yeah. it that way. You do a lot of stuff, man. I do. I got a few irons in the fire for sure. Um, well, Wingmaster started in in O. Eight, I do believe. I uh, well, when I, I started guiding right out of high school, I was eighteen, and uh, well, actually before I turned eighteen, I just I wanted to get in the industry. I, I told my dad I'm I'm gonna be a hunting outfitter, a hunting guide, or something. I don't care what I do, but I'm mm-hmm. gonna be in the outfitting industry or the outdoor industry, and I'm gonna make a living at it. And nobody in our family hunted. My grandpa hunted a little bit. My dad shot birds. So I guess we we grew up shooting birds, but. Uh, he said, well, go for it. If you want to do it, then go do something. So I uh, started guiding in, when I was 18 and then uh, realized, dude, this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. So I, I um, ended up getting my outfitting license later on that year and uh, just a full-on rookie. Didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> just jumped in with both feet with no exit plan or no idea what to do next. It was make it or break it. Make it or break it. You figure it out on the run. And, uh, shoot, it's been what, almost 14 years now. Wow. And uh, yeah, started here in Alberta with uh, with black bears and waterfowl. That, that's what we, that's how we started. Started yeah, off with this started off, started off with exactly this. And Dude. now, and then it just kept going and morphed, and there was more opportunities that came available, and then it turned into caribou in the Arctic and muskox and grizzly bear and uh, the odd polar bear and a bunch of, a bunch of other stuff, so. When yeah, we got cool. here, you met us out at the road. You just flown in. Yeah, I was, you, have a, you have a plane. Yeah, I that's was a, home. That's for a big about, deal. I was for home for about twenty-five minutes when you guys showed up. Jeez, old <laughs> Pete. And just so that—that's even more impressive to me because 
we get here, we're on the phone with Kyler. You were super responsive the whole time setting up this hunt. Like instant communication. And you're in the bush hunting muskox. Yeah, we were, we were hunting muskox. And it was going a little bit longer than we had anticipated. We hit like four days of bad weather. And we couldn't couldn't get out. And I'm right. like, oh, well, we got these bear hunters coming in. And I don't know if this is going to work out. But we ended up tagging out on, on some great bulls and, uh, and got home just in time. So it all worked out. Well, it was incredible because so many times with outfitters, you'll hear from them when you set up the hunt. You might check in once, and then you don't talk to them again until you get there. And that was not the case. We were in, Brandon was in constant communication with you. And just like, you'd come back in, and all of a sudden I get an email back, checking in. Hey guys, just checking in. I'm like, I thought this guy was hunting muskox. <laughs> you know, setting up moose camps. And he's just, you're constantly, that is, that was super impressive. And then the way you welcomed us in here, we met you out at the end of the drive came in here and showed us around and then hey guys when you're ready supper will be ready for you come on up to the house and just walked into your beautiful home and met your awesome family and your wife and your wife as well has cooked for us all week long make sure that you know, we're definitely not losing any weight <laughs> on this hunt no that'd be bad well, why would the guy do it any other way, right? If you're going to do something, like Norman's dad always used to say, if you're going to do something, you might as well do it well. So well, You're doing it very, very well. Give her a whirl. Very, very well. Norman, what, how did you get into this, man? Oh, man. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Actually. It is kind of cool. So it's 2017, and Kyler was out setting wolf baits in November, and I was just in between jobs. I was working in the logging industry. And so November was a slow month, and I was sitting at home not doing anything. So I sent him an Instagram message asking if he needed help putting out wolf baits. Sure enough, he needed a guy, so we went out the next three days and baited wolves and set new baits and asked him if he needed a, a spring bear guide for the for the next or upcoming spring. And he said, well, the list is long, <laughs> but uh, give me a call in spring. So spring rolled around, and I gave him a call. He said, I've got a deal. You can bait bears for two weeks, but it's not going to be guiding. So started baiting bears, and two weeks turned into, shoot, six years now. I was like, wow. dude, this guy can work. <laughs> I'm going to keep this guy around for a while. I'm like, man, what else can this guy do? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to keep him busy, and it, it's just it's been, yeah, it's been he's an awesome you're, you're tireless. Man. I was, yeah. I was giving you grief earlier when, earlier in the day. I'm like, yeah, I can't keep up with you. <laughs> We're out bear hunting in the evenings. He, okay, this is the plan. We're going to go over here. We're going to poke through this windrow. And we're going to check that next field. <laughs> Turn, and he's gone. And I'm like, wait up, Norm. <laughs> you know, I just, you are wired hot, dude. And, well, I've and, been out on the Arctic for a month, so this is pretty easy walking. <laughs> 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 yeah, so we get here. Yeah, the Arctic, the Arctic thing. We get here, and... We have supper, we have a nice campfire, we shoot our bows a little bit, and go out and get in and jump in a field and just slay the geese the first morning. I mean, we were done by 7.30. Literally, it was like, okay, well, now what? You know, we want to sit around and wait for time, but that evening, we came back from the bear hunt, and you're like, hey, I'm up at the, I'm up in the, Kyler's like, hey, I'm up at the house, I'm just going to be uh, fleshing muskox hides. 
And I'm thinking, well, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> and we went up there because I've never seen a muskox, let alone a muskox hide. Yeah. It's not like they're run, they're roaming around in Wyoming. And we just sat there. And we filmed some of it. And we just sat there and BS while watching you flesh a hide. Getting a glimpse into your lives, what you do on a daily basis has been eye-opening. What does the what is a day in the life of I don't care if it's a waterfall guide or what is it a big game guide what does it look like Well it looks like a guy sitting on the couch on the phone the whole time for me in the last <laughs> week man No it's uh it's a combination of a whole bunch of things you're part taxi driver you're part I don't know booking consultant and travel agent and ta- part taxidermist and Whatever needs to be done, it, it just varies from day to day. There's nobody that's going to do it for you. No. Yeah, you got to do it yourself if you want it done. Anything well, that surprised you along the way? Because six years, if you come into it and you're kind of like, oh, I expected this to be kind of like this. Not really. It's really. actually exactly what I expected it to be. It's just fell in love with it right away and didn't want to do anything else. I knew right away this, I wanted this job to be my lifestyle that's... And that ever since it's That's so cool it's a lot of fun it takes a little bit of a different mindset for for me i mean even growing up before i was an outfitter guide it, it was just uh i loved seeing the joy in somebody else um when they harvest an animal and uh and to me i i get just as big of a thrill or or more out of watching somebody else uh have some great success to doing it myself and uh at the end of the day i not everybody wants to do that i know some guys we but Norman and I have got some friends that they'd much rather shoot stuff themselves. Yeah. Which is fine. Um but they're just not gonna be a guide. Yeah. And and I'm the same way. Like I see just as much joy seeing a client kill a bucketless animal mm-hmm. and if I was pulling the trigger it's just Yeah. It takes a it takes a special breed of, of hunters. It's right. Right. I'm not I'm not there. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm a trigger puller, no, no doubt, no doubt. This, I get this savage red engage eating, and it's like it should not it doesn't stop. <laughs> just keep rolling. Kurt, give me some more shells. <laughs> oh, but the other night, so we're we're up here and we're hunting with Kurt and Rod in the mornings, going out hunting geese, having a ball, and then we're out with you and Bob in the evenings yeah. chasing bears. How does that even, how does that even, that combo even come about? Because everybody that I tell about it is like, dude, that sounds like it's awesome. (laughs) It it started, it started years ago. So that in 2009 was the first year I I really booked clients and I didn't have any bear hunters at all. And I was, uh, there was another waterfowl hunting operation in town. Okay. And, uh, and they had a group of guys in there and a couple of them wanted to shoot some bears. Mm. And so I got a phone call saying, Hey, can you, uh, can you take such and such out and, and shoot some bears? Cause we know you got bear tags. And I said, you know what? Sure. I got bear baits going on and we got oat fields we can hunt in. And so we went out and shot bears. And the next day they went back with those guys and, and shot a bunch more birds. And I'm thinking, you know, that is a pretty cool, pretty cool gig. It's a full week. Oh, you, you get up early, you're busy. shooting birds. Have a big breakfast, have a nap, have a long nap, 
Yeah, a long It'll nap. Really Sleep long all nap. afternoon, <laughs> and then go go shoot bears in the evenings. I mean, it, it's a it's a full week. Those naps during the day are key. fantastic. They are key. Yeah, I haven't slept better. I don't think ever in my life. <laughs> I open that slider window in there above that bed, and that cool breeze is coming through the the trees. I'm out, and it's in seconds. Brandon giving me grief the day he woke me up. It's time to go bear hunting. Norm's almost here. You've got to get up. I was so deep in a dream. I was out of it for the whole, I don't know, pretty much half the bear hunt. <laughs> like the four-wheeler ride in was like, I'm <laughs> still half asleep. I was, he woke me up and I think he like whispered my name a couple of times and I finally like broke from my reverie. And I was out, man. But you're right; those afternoon naps are key. <laughs> so, what was your what was people's first reactions to it? They loved it. Everybody loved it. They're like, "You do what in the afternoon?" I want to say we shoot bears. Like bears, as in singular or plural? <laughs> I said, "Well, <laughs> you get two tags, <laughs> definitely plural." And uh, yeah, everybody that does it's like, "Man, I got to do this again." Yeah, and it's it's just a relaxed combo and. It's something different. Everybody that comes loves it. It's a and pretty. It's, it's a pretty low key hunt. Like there, there's no pressure. There's very few really. people that do it, and that don't want to do it again. Yeah, it's, that, it's a hunt you could do every year, like you said. It's most of the most of the guys that come up and do it. It's oh, we got to do the, do this every year. Oh yeah, I could totally see that. It, it's like it, you. It never crossed my mind ever. To do that, I would do like what Kurt and Rod said. We shoot geese in the morning. Let's go shoot ducks in the afternoon. Dad, that makes sense. But the bears and it's it's like, you know, ducks and geese. That's like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> this is like chili and a cinnamon roll. <laughs> I like you that. You don't think they're gonna go together, but they are so good together that once you do it, you can't not do it again. It's like yeah, and then you have one. I'm gonna go. Go- I'm gonna go home and go goose hunting and go. I wish I could go hunt bears this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> but it's December and they're all sleeping. Yeah. You know. And it's a neat. It's a neat way to hunt bears too. Like it's not. You're not sitting over a bait pile and bear shopping, which is cool if you haven't sat over a bait before. Right. It's awesome. But uh, but you're walking around getting some exercise, walking these field edges, and and you're getting multiple stalks a day mm-hmm. and it's like oh yeah that, how big is that bear and he stands up in front of you Ooh, ah, he's not that big you go on to the next one right or if one wins you off he goes well there's gonna be another one around the next corner we stalked three bears the first night we saw yep. i think six six or seven six or seven the second night that was brandon's turn second night i was up to bat i stalked in the first hour and a half we were out there two I think I stalked four different bears. And the one I was a play, it was a play stalk. We literally yeah. just got out of the truck <laughs> yeah. and there's this, this little bear comes strolling out of the woods. We're like, yeah. oh, bear. And I walked over and saw to see how close I could get, you know, and he was, he was pretty oblivious, <laughs> but especially for guys that maybe have never, maybe have never taken a bear. What a way to do it. Yeah. I can't think of a better way to hunt bears because it's exactly like you said. It's super low pressure because if you blow one out, yeah, let's go find another one. Yeah. And you're not sitting there being bored. You're walking, you're moving. 
Norman Baba made sure that I've got my 10,000 steps every <laughs> single day. And I was like, man, I said this was going to be low-key, but my feet are kind of sore. <laughs> but that's from walking around picking up all the dead birds, too. So you factor it all together, and it's like, pretty good. And another bonus that a lot of people don't, don't think about is these bears are grain-fed all summer. Yes. They taste fantastic. I don't care if you like bear meat or not. A bear that's been eating grain all summer, he's going to be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, Brandon and I, it was kind of a no-brainer because we thought, mm, do I want to keep this? Because in Wyoming, we don't have to keep the meat. And in a lot of, you know, and it's kind of 50-50 in, in the lower 48 where you don't have to keep it. And I don't think you'd have to keep it here. We do don't you? have to keep it, no. Not right. legally. And on a spring bear, that makes perfect sense. Eating a spring bear is not always the greatest idea. Your face says it all. Well, depending on what he's been eating, right? Sure. He's been chewing on stinky beavers for all spring, and you're shooting them towards the end of the season. Oh, he's not going to be very good. Right. But if you shoot a early season bear, well, he's been marinating in his den all summer, all winter. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> he's going to be pretty tender. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't moved around for like six months. <laughs> tender. That's one way of looking at it, I guess. But yeah, you're right. These bears, they're eating berries. You guys' uh, berry crops just finishing up. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. still rose hips. There's still that bear last night watching him come up the riverbank. He was just nipping those rose hips. Yeah, he was stripping the branches. Just stripping yeah. rose hips. And uh, bunch berries. There's bunch berries everywhere on the forest floor. But they've eaten raspberries, whatever, whatever kind of berries. What else? Saskatoons. Saskatoons. So what are those yeah. like? I heard Bob say that the other night, and he was trying to explain them to it's me. It's like a blueberry, but it's they're a little more tart. Okay. And they're like a high bush. They, they grow on like a six to eight, ten foot tall trees. And they're a little bit smaller than a blueberry, but they're they're amazing. And they make really, really good pies and jams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good Interesting. Berry. So you got those bears eating that, and then the grain gets ripe. They're in the oats, and they really like the oats. Do they yeah. get in anything else, like barley? Oh, or? wheat and barley. They do it, a little bit. Yeah. Once the oats come come off, then if there's nothing else, they'll feed on, on wheat and barley. Okay. And what peas, about and peas, peas every now bit, and then? Yeah. Peas, yeah, that would make sense. And a, and a good grass every now and then. If there's not much else yeah. around the leaves, alfalfa or grass or whatever. But they're that that oats is like crack cocaine for them. Right. But those bears the first night, like you could hear them chewing on those peas when we were stalking them. Yes. So they they're they're eating pretty much any yeah, cereal. It was grain. it was, it was yeah. pretty quiet, and you were like, "Can you hear?" Them? And and once I turned my good ear <laughs> to the to, the, to, to my right ear toward the sound. Then I could hear crunch, crunch, yeah. crunch, crunch. And I'm like, whoa, Brandon. And Brandon's even closer. I'm like, dude, he's got to have a shot. Yeah. He didn't. The bear was feeding away from him. But um, we saw a bear on the way in here along the highway that was in, well, clover. It looked like he was eating clover. Yeah. And that, But that bear lived. That's a bush bear. I mean, he's in the middle. There's no agriculture yeah. within 100 kilometers of that bear. <laughs> You'll find a lot fatter bears in the agriculture land. Right. The fat on my bear was impressive. You're taking it off. We're like, oh, that's pretty crazy. The fat on Brandon's bear? Oh, it was insane. I've never seen it like that. Really? So that was substantial. Yeah. We had that one off of one hindquarter. That fat had to be six inches thick. At least. Yeah. There's a picture of it, and it's like Bob's holding it, and it's like he's holding, I don't know, it had to be. 10 pounds of fat or more? These these big bears, like if, if you get a bear that weighs 400 pounds in the springtime, uh-huh. he'll weigh 500 pounds in the fall. 
hundred pounds to of put a hundred pounds of fat on. It makes sense because you watch them walk and they literally just like they just sway, yeah. you know, and it, they jiggle like a big fat person, you know. They just yeah, I know what that's like every single day. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So that's what I was saying. I'm kind of relate. Too many Saskatoons. Yeah. <laughs> no, too many Saskatoon pies, more like. Yeah. Oh man. So what we did is we kept our meat. Brandon kept his. I kept mine. Because I like bear. And I'm thinking the same thing that you just described. I'm like, these things have been eating berries. They've been eating grain. You're not going to get a better eating animal. And I'm thinking, yeah, let's do it. And so I kept mine. But we kept all the fat, too. We kept the fat off Brandon's bear. Yeah. You guys were the first night with my bear. We were skinning it. And you're like, do you want this fat? And I was kind of like, nah. Then I got talking to my wife. And she goes, you threw it away? I said, well, yeah, I wasn't going to bring a bunch of fat home. She goes, if you get another one, can you bring the fat home? I want to render it. Yeah. There's a lot of people that use that bear fat. What do they use it for? Because I'm... Making different oils and soaps and I don't know. So they're using it for soap? Oh, your wife. She'd tell you. That's the next podcast. I've heard it's it's, it's good for treating arthritis. (laughs) There's tons of people that use it for that. Joint pain and stuff. So they're using it like a liniment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I think her idea is she wants to bake with it. Oh, yeah. Like lard. Oh, yeah. People bake with it. And it's actually, it's it's pretty decent to deep fry it. Oh, I would bet. Yeah. I'm definitely going to do that. Probably deep fry some goose nuggets or something in it <laughs> my kids love goose fingers oh, is that really love it they'll i'll literally cut them or nuggets either way but i'll cut them into you know whatever maybe pound them out with a mallet a little bit so they're a little Tenderized they're pretty little tender bit. and then i just roll them in whatever breading i've got and fry them and I'm, i'll do it with the bear i'll let you know how that oh yeah how that works out yeah let me know so the, what about canola because we we talked about the geese don't eat don't they don't go in the canola except for crazy speckle bellies <laughs> yeah you ever see bears in the canola? <laughs> not, not hardly at all. <clears throat> no, really? you'll you'll see the deer. You'll see the deer and the elk when that when that canola starts greening up, mm-hmm. and uh, and the pods are getting not ripe but they're they're green. You're gonna see mule deer in every single one of those canola fields. It's, Interesting. It's, they're loaded. The deer love that stuff. Really? And, and you'll see probably five mule deer to every one whitetail. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, That's interesting, because obviously we've got the wingman wingman channel, but what I'm the editor for Eastman's Hunting Journals, and so I just just had a cover deer from, I think it was Saskatchewan, Audrey Ettinger. I'm pretty sure she was from Saskatchewan. In fact, I know she was. Um, Huge white tail, or huge mule deer buck like 240 inches this thing was insane and she shot it in a canola field absolutely when we draw mule deer tags norman and i or all of our buddies the first thing we're doing if we're scouting in in early august and trying to find a big buck we're going from canola field to canola field to canola field to canola field because guaranteed they're going to be in there (sighs) and those those deer will walk across an alfalfa field to get to to canola no kidding oh yeah (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, because they got cover too, right? Sorry to cut you off. No, there, but no. They got they got lots of cover because oftentimes the canola is tall. Right. And if they're laying down in there, I mean, it's going to hide their their antlers and everything. They're completely they're hidden. completely completely yeah. hidden. And it's so a one they, stop they lo- shop. Yeah, that's wild. They that makes it. perfect sense. And it's and it's thick that 
that often the coyotes and the wolves they don't like going in the canola because it's it's super thick and they don't they can't really get around they can't see anything in there so there's hardly any predators in that canola stuff it's it's pretty pretty good hunting in this stuff hmm yeah because they're combining that stuff like crazy right now yeah yeah we came back from bear hunting last night and once we crossed the river it was just like combines lights everywhere lights everywhere combine and everything and then the one poor guy was mowing the ditch. I wasn't sure what he was doing. <laughs> like, he just felt left out, so he had to get out there and, and do something. Too many edibles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> At least he wasn't mowing his shingles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. oh, man. But this, is, this has been the modus operandi all week, and I know I talked about that in the, in the previous episode with Kurt and Rod. Dude, we have laughed all week long. Like, <laughs> sides hurt. Breakfast, telling stupid stories and just laughing. And <laughs> Bob, the other night at dinner, must have got. I told a story, and he must have got a mental picture because he's a quiet guy, very soft spoken. Oh, to the point where he's in the truck and he's literally talking out, kind of like looking at the other side and he's talking. <laughs> I can't hear a word he's saying. Yeah. I can hear, ho, 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 and that's all I can hear. So I'm like, what was that? <laughs> oh, then he realizes I can't hear him. So then he, then he speaks up, but he was dying, just rolling. And you guys were laughing at him because he was I, laughing. I was laughing almost as hard at him as laughing at your story. And the story was hilarious. And may or may not repeat that on the podcast but uh, <laughs> but, but i mean you were painting an hd 4k video picture in that guy's brain it was it was hilarious it was hilarious and he he's not here he's but he bob's a taxidermist yeah by trade that's what he does but that guy and i'm not downplaying your skills no because you are very all. very good at what you do it was you spotted my bear and it was one of those deals where we were just waiting, watching Brandon, and it was wild because I had a mental image of that exact thing. Happening. Walking out of that cut line right onto the field. I was field. like, yeah, yeah this, there's, I'm, one of these times I'm going to look, there's going to be a bear walking right down that cut line, and, it's, and it's, this is what's going to happen. And it's, it, it's like I manifested it. It's, like, <laughs> it's exactly what happened. But we turned, and, and you were like, oh, there's a bear, there's a bear. And it worked out because... Hunter was filming Brandon stalking his yeah. bear, and you have your camera, and I saw you immediately go into camera mode. <laughs> yeah. So I clicked. I'm like, he's going to film this. So then it was kind of a no-brainer, and she comes yeah. walking out, and I'm looking at her, and I don't even remember if anybody said, that's a good bear. <laughs> nope. But I'm looking at it, and I'm like, it's not a tiny one. That'll do. That's a pretty nice bear. I'd be happy with that. And it worked out just, just perfectly. But Bob... So Brandon's bear got, Brandon stalked in. We're, okay, I'm going to back this up. We're on my bear. We're making the recovery. And it's Bob and Hunter and I, because you and Brandon went back out to check if the bear that he had stalked when I shot mine came back out because it spooked when I shot my, it kind of stood up, heard my bow go off, must be. Because we were only 200 yards apart in the same field. And all of a sudden, we're in the woods, and we hear, Bob looks, he goes, I guess we got another bear. (laughs) 
just deadpan, you know. <laughs> Guess we got another bear. And I'm like, oh my gosh, two in one night, sweet. Well, what had happened was Brandon's bear turned a little bit, and we weren't sure about the shot, about the hit. It was kind of dark. We couldn't tell on the on the camera yeah. where exactly the arrow hit. And so we decided we we got on. We had a, we had a good blood trail. We're walking in there, and the woods is getting thicker and thicker. Oh, it was thick and thicker to the point where, and it's raining, and we're going, oh man. Uh, and then we heard like a branch break. And was that bear clacking? Like I think it was. I think it was. Is like that smacking sound they they make. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. And Brand, I remember it was. I think I was. I was the last in line because I'm like I'm gonna be. There's gonna be four people in front of me if this bear. Comes. <laughs> I'm gonna be the last one eating. I'm gonna be the last one eating. So we're good. And by that time, I'm gonna be probably back out to the to the field anyway, <laughs> hightailing it for the four wheeler. But um, so we that was definitely we were done for the night. It's like yeah. all right, this bear needs time. So we. We backed out, did not go, because then we skinned my bear that night. It was late. That was a late night. I think we crawled to bed at 3 in the morning. 3 o'clock in the morning. And Curtis was like, are you guys going goose hunting with us in the morning? <laughs> I'm like, what, in an hour and a half? But So we, just, we slept in, went back out, got on the bear, combed through that thick stuff. Yeah, we gritted that whole, that whole strip in that field. Nothing. Couldn't couldn't come up with anything, and we're kind of getting worried. Like, this might not work out. And Bob, the bloodhound, unbelievable. I nicknamed him Bush Bob because it's unbelievable. His his bush skills are he's just he's a bushman. I mean, it is unbelievable. He's out standing there in the field, and he's the first one out of the thick stuff because he's like part wolf, I think, and he just slips through that stuff like it's nothing walk out he's like you find anything in there I'm like, no not really and we got talking and he's like well i think i saw a bear in this oat field i just saw like a like a its head pop up we're like oh okay we all get out and he didn't really say anything <laughs> no he didn't he's just kind of like mm-hmm. listening to everybody talk and he goes well i saw a bear right over here <laughs> like as an afterthought <laughs> like well maybe that's pertinent information he's like but i think in his mind he was thinking there's no way that bear's going to go out in those oats exposed no. yeah. to, to die. Especially wounded like that. Yeah. Why wouldn't it stay in that super thick cover? And that's where I thought we'd find him, in that super thick stuff. Nose to nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it got really interesting from there because we got over, walked over to see it, and there was the blood trail going into the oats. And so we, Brandon knocked an arrow got over there and then we could see the bear and she was she was pretty hurt yeah she was pretty hurt but she needed a coup de gras and so brandon delivered that and of course you know it was it was got a little western but not too western (laughs) i think i messaged the exciting western yeah the good western the the kind that you're like that was exciting but nobody got hurt (laughs) it was it was quite the experience and the whole thing was, it's like, dude, we're on a, we're gonna get up in the morning and go hunt, duck, we're gonna hunt geese again. All of that, and then go shoot geese. Like, mm, all in a day's work. And you guys do that 
all September. It's a good time. It's a great time. It's, I don't know, it's incredible. And it's one of those things that I think I told you, I probably have seven of these sold already to different, <laughs> to different people that I know because I'm like, you have to do this. Good, we'll be busy next year. Yes, you have to come do this. But so we're back on bears. We got on some bears last night. Got on, and there's there were elk out there. Yeah, elk building on the field. That was and super cool. Six, was it five or six bears? Yeah, something like that, and one big one. Yeah. And I think we're going to probably head out here shortly and go see if we can find that bear again, yeah. maybe, or go to a different field. We'll see. Okay. See well, what we come up with. Well, it's one of those things that this isn't just a one-trick pony, though. This isn't all you guys do. No. So what all do you offer through the rest of your outfitting business? Well, we wrap this up here, obviously, tomorrow. I guess you, you guys take off, and that finishes off our, our bear waterfowl hunts for this year. And then on uh, Tuesday, my first moose hunters show up. And uh, Sorry, Wednesday, my first moose hunters show up. And on Thursday, we start off with moose hunting. We run that till the about the 9th or 10th of October. We run about 15 guys through, so not not a huge number of moose hunters, but enough to keep us busy for a while. Uh, a few different camps. And then, actually, October is probably one of our biggest breaks of the year. We get three week, a, th- a good solid three weeks off before we start wolf hunting. Okay. So we got we start wolf <coughs> hunting in November, and I'll run these hunt. Well, and then we do a couple whitetail hunts in November as well. And then uh, we wolf hunt around here locally over bait in November, December, and in January. February, we do a couple sports shows. We'll go down to Utah this year, do the, the Hunt Expo. We'll do Safari Club International this year. And then in March... We're still wolf hunting in February, too, I guess, between shows. And then in March, for the whole month of March, we're chasing Arctic wolves in the Northwest Territories, oh. which is an absolute riot. How does that work? Because no, there can't be any roads. Where, I mean, what well, do you there's, there's an ice road that goes up between uh, north of Yellowknife, and it goes all the way up to uh, a couple of diamond mines up there. It's called the Tibet to Contoto Ice Road. And it's, shocks, you guys are all in miles, but it's, if you go right to the end, it's 500 kilometers. That's a long ways. It's a long ways. Yeah, it takes you about 14 hours to drive to the north end of it. Yeah, because I imagine you got to go pretty slow. you got to go pretty slow, yeah. But there's a, there's a whole bunch of trucks on that road and hauling fuel and supplies to these to these mines. But the caribou migration comes down, and they spend their their winters down around that the northern portion of that ice road. Mm-hmm. Well, there's anywhere where there's going to be caribou, there's going to be wolves. Because these wolves, they follow these caribou herds around sure. year-round. And uh, and we just babysit those caribou until we find wolves. And last year in March, we killed 19 wolves with 12 hunters in three weeks. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> that's the that's the best we've ever done. We had a good time. Um, and a lot of those guys tagged out on day three. Yeah, day two, day three, kind of thing. How many wolves can they shoot? Two two wolves two. first. So yeah. two two tags. Okay. It's a pretty cool experience. It's it's one of the only places you can legally chase a wolf on a snowmobile. If, really? If you intend to kill it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just something you go do. Like, oh, I'm bored. Let's go find a wolf and chase it with a snowmobile. I ain't getting it. In the Wildlife Act, it says you're only allowed to chase a wolf on a snow machine if you intend to kill it. Well, we got pretty good intentions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, we wrap that up, 
and then uh, this year I'm going to be running another wolf camp in in Nunavut territory. So it's just um, just past the end of the ice road. We're going to okay. snowmobile another like 35 miles, and I've got an old caribou camp that I can't. I, I lost my caribou tag, so I I uh, I'm going to convert it into a wolf hunting camp, and we can shoot wolverines in Nunavut territory. And I've got I'm the first outfitter that can legally bait predators in Nunavut territory. Which is cool. I was going to say. Because Nunavut does not have any regulations on daylight hours. Because at certain points of the year, Nunavut territory is dark. Completely dark. Completely dark for months on end. Right. right. So we can shoot 24 hours over bait, using thermals, night vision, spotlights, chasing with snowmobiles. It's pretty neat experience. What is that like? And then if... if I'll I let mean, you finish. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> So we can put these baits out and check them in the morning. I mean, if you don't want to stay up all night and shoot them with a thermal, you can go check for some tracks, get on a set of tracks and follow them. I don't know. It takes 10, 20, 30, 40 miles until you catch up to them and shoot them. It's not for everybody, but it is an absolute riot. <laughs> Gosh, that sounds like the next level. That's like next level fun. Yeah. Yeah, you can be riding in the truck for three four days and you're like well this is no fun sitting in a truck just driving around and then spot a pack of wolves and it gets western real quick <laughs> oh she gets plenty western <laughs> bailing out yep we wrecked a few snowmobiles burned a couple down yep have have a good life insurance balls so i was gonna say yeah exactly and the whole time your wife and kids are sitting back here haven't heard from you in a month <laughs> yeah <laughs> Daddy's still alive, Mommy? I have no <laughs> idea. He's hunting wolves and none of it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good time. So when you burn a snowmobile down... Well, actually, Norman burns snowmobiles down. <laughs> so tell me about this story, Got a bad Norm. track record. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was going to buy Norman a little, like, holster for Christmas uh-huh. with a little fire extinguisher in there. Yeah. Because he kept burning everything to the ground. Yep. <laughs> so we were chasing these wolves. It was on, what was it, Dave? Okay, we hunted wolves for like a day, and then we had a nasty storm come through. Right, we had to go back to town. So we drove all the way down, back to town, spent a couple days in town. Storm blew through, and we had two days of hunting left before the next hunters rolled in. And this is the last week of hunting that we did pre-COVID. And after that, the whole world went to pot. Oh, yeah, it was insane. So we were up there having a ball when the whole COVID thing dropped. But anyway, we whip out there for the last two days, and... Sure enough, we find these caribou, and, and we're babysitting them, glassing around, looking for looking for wolves. And uh, we find a, uh, three of them, and uh, Daniel Welker take two of them on, on the first, on that hunt. And so the next morning, then, uh, then the guy he was hunting with, Todd, uh, we're looking for two wolves for him. And we spot these two wolves, and it was pretty rocky where we were in and okay. usually, usually we got to wait for these wolves to get onto an open area where there's <coughs> a, it, it's on a lake that's sure frozen so we're not busting rocks and stuff right yeah but we were kind of short some time and maybe taking a few risks <laughs> maybe <laughs> and we spot these wolves and there's rocks everywhere and we're thinking boy this is gonna be tough and we start going and i and i, t- <laughs> I told norm <laughs> i told norm okay you just because it was norman's first I think yeah, it was my first, first, year, first up year up there on those Arctic wolf hunts. So yeah, before we spotted these wolves, made a game plan, and just before we took off, he, he looked back and said, "Stay on my heels." I go, 
okay. Just drive where I drive. <laughs> yep. And I sure did. So we, we bust after this wolf. We get we get the first one done, and uh, we get him killed. And we cut this other set of tracks, and we're following it. And then we spot it like a mile and a half away, going over the ridge. And so we juice it, and we're going way too fast for the conditions because I know <laughs> where he's going, it gets worse. Mm. There's more rocks. And if I don't, we don't catch him in time, he's going to get in those rocks, and he's gone. Gone, right. So we're flying across the snow. And I see this rock at the last second. I'm thinking, oh, and that's too late. It's like, boom. We hit that rock. The guy's airborne behind me. Oh. And, and it, poof, he lands back on the snowmobile. I'm thinking, oh, sweet, I got him. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I keep going, and in my mind, I'm thinking, boy, I hope Norman doesn't follow me. But Norman's right in my tracks. Well, I dusted all the snow off of this rock. This rock is fully. Yeah, so Kyler exposed. had a cushion when he hit it. And I hit solid rock. Doing, oh. what, 50 mile an hour? Probably. <laughs> Did you go over the front end? Nope. But I almost, <laughs> almost lost my passenger. Oh, I It, it took a while. <laughs> we had that rock when we were airborne, I don't know how far. And it took a couple seconds and just a thump behind me and he hit the seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did they think of that? Oh. Uh, <laughs> We get this wolf, <laughs> and and Todd, he was he's riding with me. Well, he'd put his goggles down because it's like thirty eight below. Oh, yeah. It was cold that day, and his goggles had fogged up instantly. So he's doing this whole ride blind, can't see a thing. Oh so my he's just gosh. hanging on, doesn't know what to expect. He's got a rifle on his sling, and it's bouncing around, hit him in the chin, and he, and he's he's just hanging on for dear life. He pulls it off, shoots that wolf. And we walk up to it, and he's just vibrating. He, he's like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> but this is it's almost. A, it's about all I can handle, <laughs> he said. Almost too much adventure for me. <laughs> 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 but now he says it's the best one he's ever done in his life. Yeah, exactly. So and the now. whole time, I'm, I'm riding behind Kyler, and I see Kyler's passenger. He's turning left. And this guy's leaning right, just back and oh, forth. I'm like, just jerking him then, all yeah. over the place. <laughs> yeah, and then he said, "Well, my goggles fall up, fogged up right away." Like, oh, you're doing this whole thing blind. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the snowmobile burning thing. Oh yes. So we we pull up beside this wolf and we're hooting all around, high five, and and uh, and Norman's still standing in the snowmobile, and I, I look over at Norman and there's flames <laughs> almost up to his chin, and he's standing on the snowmobile with a great big old grin on his face. I said. <laughs> Norman, your snowmobile's on fire. And he looks at me, what? He's got the... I mean, I've got like five hoods on and goggles over top and couldn't hear a thing. <laughs> yeah. I said, Norman, your snowmobile's on fire. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> and I tore my hood off and that's when I looked down and said, whoa. <laughs> it's all in flames. And so, so somehow when he impacted the rock, I mean, we looked at it after. I mean, everything was, the whole bulkhead was bent in. and the Oh, man. It was destroyed. It was, yeah. like it was tore off. Like, it would have been a write-off. So, I, I hope the insurance company's not listening. <laughs> it burnt, and I had fire insurance. So, I got fire insurance, but it was, <laughs> the snowmobile was done. Right. It still ran. We did try to extinguish the fire, st- but there is, no. I think the whole bulkhead and everything filled up with gas. I think oh. I must have busted a gas line or something. Right. And there's no chance of saving that, no. that thing. So now you're on foot. Well, we had one snowmobile, yeah. two dead wolves, and four guys. <laughs> and we're a long ways from the truck. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so we just did a few loads. We skinned a couple wolves. I think we skinned them right there. Yeah, you took one of the guys back to the truck, 
and I started skinning, and then the last trip, I think we had three guys on that sled, yeah. two wolves or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that – this isn't just like, you know – because guys that are listening to this have – probably very few of them have a frame of reference. You know what I mean? Because this is – the bear hunts that we do, that, that we just got done doing, would – be big adventure for a lot of folks a lot of folks and so what you just described people are like oh my gosh and it's just like yeah you want to go wolf hunting let's go <laughs> it's in a truck it's an absolute riot that one probably the most expensive wolf hunt you can buy in north america right i bet it, it costs well a lot, there's a it, lot of there's a lot of overhead yeah but it's a fun one so we do that and then as soon as we finish that, I, we got some muskox hunts that start, and we run those till like mid-April, and then we have a little bit of time, about a week. And then we start baiting for black bears down here. For oh, so you have spring muskox yeah. hunts? Yeah, spring muskox hunts. I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh yeah, that's a neat hunt in itself. But before, uh, I guess we start the black bear baiting here towards the end of April, and then we do some grizzly hunts. Uh, out of Bathurst Inlet, Nunavut Territory. Okay. Like May 5th to the 15th, kind of. And then, uh, so we're kind of starting those those grizzly hunts. So we'll just start our black bear hunts up here and then run the black bear hunts usually till June 15th. And then we have, what, a month of time we can enjoy our summer? Yeah, about a month. And then we go back up north for, for fall muskox. Then we do the whole thing over again. Just over and over and over and over mm-hmm. again. That's so cool. I, I want to talk about muskox in a second, but I want to go back to the wolves. And this is a this is a waterfall podcast, and this is we're way out in the big game, <laughs> big game field. But that's okay because this stuff is this stuff's beyond the pale, and it's just awesome. The wolf thing. Why are you hunting the wolves? Why are you getting after them like this? Because guys are gonna hear some folks are gonna hear this and be like, "You're chasing wolves on a snowmobile, and then you're shooting them." Yeah. It's a very touchy subject, and there's there's a lot of uh, what's the word? There's a lot of people that think a wolf is a spirit animal and all right, this stuff. And right. There's there's a lot of controversy surrounding wolf hunting, but it it started here in Alberta actually um, for me when I bought this property in 2011. We had a whole bunch of deer here, and I thought I'm I'm going to have an absolute deer haven. Right. And uh, I kept monitoring the deer in the area. Well, in the winter of 2012, 2013, we had a, like, it was a bad winter. We had 15 feet of snowfall that year, oh. cumulative. I mean, it, I mean, once it all packs down, there's not that much snow. Right. But there was, there was right. a lot of snow. And I found 46 wolf-killed deer within a mile of my property. And it pretty much wiped out the entire deer population in the area. And I got mad at them. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this can't go on. Or we're going to lose... You won't have any deer We left. won't have any deer left. Yeah. And nobody... See, it used to be there was a lot of trappers in the area. Cause, sure. Because fur was worth something. Mm-hmm. And so they'd, they'd keep the wolf population in check. But now there's no trappers anymore. There's there's nobody that hunts wolves. So the, the population was, was blown way out of proportion. And I got mad at them and started trapping, started snaring, and started hunting them. And I took a lot of wolf hunters down here. And we, we've killed, see, our, our county put a bounty on the wolves uh, 
the following year. And in a six-year time period, we killed 500 wolves in our county. Wow. Just in our county. And uh, between me and my trapping partner, we killed 38% of them, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but it's really started to make a difference. And so we kept trapping them harder and harder and harder, and especially around this area, around my house. And now I have – I don't want to kill all the wolves. Yeah, but exactly. But you want to have a, a proper balance, predator-prey balance. And so now there's hardly any wolves around my property, and the deer numbers are coming back. And the moose numbers are coming back, and it's amazing the difference that it makes. So to, to translate that into the Arctic wolf hunts, mm-hmm. caribou numbers in the Arctic have been declining for a long time. Sure. And so they're they're blaming predation mostly, and and uh, a couple of other things, and they really don't know why the caribou populations are declining. And that's an entire another podcast in itself about caribou. But I think I think you need to get on. You guys both should do like a Zoom call yeah. with Brian Barney in the Elevated Podcast, and you can jump into that sure. because that that's the dedicated big game audience, and they're going to really eat that up. But keep going, cause yeah. So we we like to do our part and just uh, and just help the caribou population out. Um, the government of Nunavut has been doing a wolf program for years, trying to encourage. Uh, encourage wolf hunters and, mm-hmm. and wolf trapping and stuff and uh and actually our company adventure northwest uh, that's the name of our our northern our arctic company um takes a large percentage of the wolves out of that area of the northwest territories every year so and people are taking them and they're obviously trophies they're having them tanned yeah. or they're mounting them or, or whatever yeah they're not just going to waste yeah yeah exactly but it's a management tool in in effect it is 100 percent a management tool we need to do, we are doing a lot of that in Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho. The Great Lakes states are hurting because they don't get as quite, do quite as much, and they're seeing exactly what you described. We had an elk herd in southern Montana on the, on the border, the northern border of Yellowstone National Park that before wolf reintroduction was 20,000 plus animals. Now it's hovers around two thousand, yeah, and just, and and you're going to see that in Colorado. I mean, Colorado right now is the epicenter of of elk. I mean, you got a bazillion elk in Colorado, right? right. They're reintroducing the wolves. It's going to they decimate. they opened a can of worms. Ten years down the road, they'll wish they'd never done it. And these are, and and that's from guys that have grown up with wolves. You've been around wolves your whole life. They're nothing new. You are you, you are the experts at this. You you know how to manage wolves. Yeah, I I agree. I I agree. But like I said, that is something you guys you, you guys got you guys got to dive into that deep with with maybe Jeff Nimnick on Predator on Eastman's Predator Pros. That would be an amazing conversation. Sure. On the Predator Hunting Podcast, but waterfowl. All of this stuff is fascinating to me. And when Ike asked me this about this hunt, if this was something that I wanted to do for wingmen, I mean, Peace River's been on my bucket list for geese since I was a kid. And I'm older than both of you. How long has the goose hunting here been a thing? Forever. Since farmland was created in this area. Really? Yeah. When, when, this, when this area started opening up for farmland... There was a few birds or a few geese and ducks that 
that stopped in through here. But as as more farmland got opened up, I think the flyways somewhat changed. Those geese learned to to stop by La Crete, Alberta, because it was the first stop, and there was a, a good supply of farmland and some potholes with some water and the, the Peace River running through it. Mm-hmm. So they had everything they needed. They had water, they had food, and and uh, not a whole lot of hunting pressure back then. And and you know it's it, the hunting pressure still isn't very high. There's there's not very many waterfowlers. I mean, there's a bunch of locals here and there, but they don't get hammered. We haven't hard. seen hardly anybody out no. about. If this was, I think even south of Edmonton. Oh yeah, there'd be dudes everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I'm watching. So I'm looking. I'm monitoring social media as I'm up here, and there's guys posting all kinds of pictures of shooting geese and ducks, and there that's where they are. Yeah, we drove through there, and it was just. Not a ton of geese, but just polluted with ducks. I mean, it is a, that's a duck factory. Yeah, it is. And so it's interesting to me because in asking, I asked you and I asked the boys, sorry, I asked Kurt and Rod. <laughs> Kurt and Rod. About, uh, <laughs> are we going to shoot any ducks? And they're like, oh, yeah, probably some. Yeah. But this is mostly a goose destination. Yeah. We'll get a, we'll get a big influx of ducks a little later on. Um once October hits and things start cooling down, it seems like a more more ducks kick around sure. for a while. But uh, it is definitely more of a goose destination than ducks. And most of the hunting that we do is over fields, right? <coughs> right. And uh, a lot of the, the good potholes that we used to hunt years ago, or for me growing up, that I remember going to shoot ducks on, they've all dried up or been drained for, for farmland, and a lot of that's agriculture land now. Right. Which is pretty disappointing for us. So a lot of those holes that, that held all those ducks aren't there anymore. That, okay. Yeah. So that I think that contributed to the decline in the in the duck hunting in the area. But the goose hunting is unreal. It is. It's incredible. Yep. You came out with us this morning. Yeah. Harassed the geese with us. Yep. And for me, like I didn't even I didn't grow up waterfall hunting. Okay. It was big game. It's all all I hunted. So, yeah, I didn't start waterfall hunting until I joined Wingmaster pretty much when I started working for him. Really? Yeah. And I grew up shooting birds. That's what I started doing. My family didn't bird hunt, didn't, didn't big game hunt at all. My grandpa didn't hunt. My, my dad, we shot birds. And growing up, and we'd go out and shoot two or three geese in the morning. Oh, I was elated. That was awesome. Right. And I loved it. And, and for me, still, if there was one thing, I'd, one thing I could still shoot for the rest of my life, be ducks over water. We just answered that question. <laughs> <laughs> so, I I still love it, and uh, but Kurt and Rod they've uh, they've got the fire burning. How in hot. the world did you find those two clowns? Because <laughs> See, I, I I'm teasing them because I told you earlier the I told you this morning actually when we were finishing up because you you guys both came out and hunted with us this morning, and I was like. Kyler, I've been around a lot of different guides, and those two are, they're gems. They know what they're doing, they're good at it, and most importantly, they're passionate about it. And that passion and enthusiasm rubs off on their clients. Absolutely, it does. If you're out there having a good time and positive attitude, it it goes a long ways. So I grew up with their older brother, Ken, 
Okay. And so Ken and I have had a lot of good times <laughs> in a duck blind. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. And uh, we warmed a lot of barrels, maybe shot out a few. We didn't hit very much growing <laughs> up, but we, sh- we, <laughs> we put a lot around Skyward. That's awesome. So, so and then I think through that, I got to know Curtis and Rod, and, and uh, they asked one year, hey, you need a goose guide. I said, yeah, actually I do, because I, the waterfowling for me had kind of fallen to the wayside as I expanded into the Northwest Territories and Inuit Territory, into the Caribou, Muskox, and the big game, and I didn't have time. Right. I was you always up do north. I can't yeah. do it all by myself. So when these guys came along and said, hey, can, do you need somebody to guide your waterfowl stuff? I said, absolutely. And then, uh, yeah, they just do an awesome job. I don't need to babysit anything. I don't need to tell them what to do. They just do it, and, and they're awesome. It's, like I said, it's, it's been first class. I mean, we're always on birds. And you can't, you can't control what the birds are going to do day to day. You can just make sure that you're where they want to be, and those guys have killed it. Every single day, we've hunted a different spot. This morning we hunted the same field that we hunted the very first day we got here because it was loaded last night. When we went out bear hunting, it was just black with geese. And but yesterday morning, and the more and Wednesday morning, to look at the skyline, the horizon, in that with that sunrise, and it's just skeins of waterfowl trading across the skyline. It's pretty cool. You can't go everywhere and see that. You know, it's and. We live in an era right now where waterfowl is doing extremely well. Across the continent, there's pockets that are of concern. You know, the Atlantic Flyway is in trouble with their mallards. But overall, especially in the central flyway, goose numbers and duck numbers are way, 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 way up. And, you know, Ducks Unlimited just, or it was, yeah, the, the waterfowl surveys just came out earlier this year and they hadn't done one in two years because of COVID. Is that right? Yes. So they got one from this spring and they were like, looks good. Things are going to, looks like another good fall. And from what I've seen just on this drive up here, and I drove the whole Northern end of the flyway and there's birds everywhere. Oh yeah. So if you guys are listening to this and you're in, you know, Kansas or Oklahoma, you're further down in the Southern, in the, in the central flyway you're going to be in for a great fall if you get the weather that you need to push birds that far down because there's lots of birds there's lots of birds and i saw that even on our muskox hunts because we're up there where the birds are are spending their summers right Right. and um like the week before we're recording this podcast here right now we're, we're coming back from these muskox hunts and there's thousands of birds all night just just flying overhead heading south and so there's still there's still a lot of birds that are coming. We've wa- and we watched the numbers this week. We watched and we got here and it's like we're driving around. The first morning we were in in and out of that field so fast. It was like wow, that was that was pretty cool. Like shooting light was 6:22 the first morning and we were done. Last goose in the dirt. Uh four man limit. Yeah, four man limit that day by 7:30. That's pretty good. Just over an hour. It's like, I can't think of many times that I've limited out that many birds <laughs> that quickly. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty epic. But by 
by the by Wednesday, there was twice as many birds in the area. Yeah. So you're right here. You're right below where they where they where they nested, and I'm sure you produced birds here as well. And then it's just the numbers have just grown and grown and grown yeah. all week. You guys have anybody coming in? Yeah, you have somebody coming in next next on Sunday or Monday? Uh, not bird hunters. I've, I've got a little bit of a break, and then I've got uh, some from New Zealand. I want to go shoot some bears and birds before uh, before they fly into moose camp. Okay, but that'll be because next. But week. we've we've got resident resident people that yeah oh, hunt all, okay. all yeah. September. Yeah, yeah, like local local people. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, Rod and Curtis sense. are gonna be busy till right till the end of September. Yep. Shooting yep, birds. They said they were booked yep. all through, but I didn't yep. know if that was but as this for, hunt. But non-residents, or... yeah, they're they're just uh, just those next week. But yeah, there's there's uh, it's amazing how that resident hunts has taken off. There's a lot of people that that used to hunt as when they were kids or uh-huh. whatever. Their grandpa used to do some waterfowl hunting, but now they just don't have the time. Uh-huh. Well, they just it's one eight hundred rod and Kurt. One eight hundred Kurt and rod. Yeah. No, that's a that's interesting because that's something that I've seen as well in my own life where I don't have the time to scout like I did when I was younger. I'm busy. I have a family. And I remember driving, when we were driving to Oklahoma last year, going down the front range around Denver in eastern, in eastern Colorado, and there are, I mean, tens of thousands. Everywhere you look, there's geese. And I remember thinking to myself, man, if I lived here, I don't think I'd buy, I don't think I'd own a rig. I don't think I'd own decoys. I don't think I'd own a trailer. I'd take that money that I was going to spend on that and all the fuel money that I was, all the gas money I would spend looking for a scout. And I'd go with an outfitter every weekend. Absolutely. The scouting's been done, all the hard work, the leg work's all been done. Yeah. Show up. Jump in a blind and shoot. Shoot birds and go home. Right, and the level your level of involvement is as much or as little as you want it to be. Absolutely, yeah. you know we jumped in with these guys and we're helping out, you know, and we're doing stuff because that's what we do. I don't want to be, I, I want to be involved. You know, I want to call. I want to. I want to help. I want to be part of that. And you, that doesn't mean you couldn't. You can't do that. I don't know a single outfit out there that wouldn't encourage you to help out. They obviously like to help, and it helps make the experience better for you it's it's really interesting because we're we're literally in a day and age where stuff's expensive and decoys and a trailer and blinds and all these things add up and you're like you're looking at that total cost and going man i can go on quite a few outfitted hunts for that yeah yeah you're looking at your bills man i just spent seven thousand dollars in fuel and decoys yeah man i can hunt I can spend a lot of mornings hunting with an outfitter for. Because most guys date. What do you guys charge for day trips? A thousand bucks for the group, for per morning. And what's that? How big a group? You got you got six guys. It's cheap, really. You got six guys. We supply the shells. You jump in. The and blind. you supply the shells. Yeah. Holy smokes! Yeah, that is cheap. Yeah, that is cheap. So and and I don't know. I'm thinking, like Noah Miller. With Western Waterfallers, don't where we are. That's his thing, and he's got he's building a lodge, um, and he'll have clients for multiple, like a week stay or several days. But he also does day hunting, the same thing that you guys do. And I think, I think he's like groups are. I think he's probably pretty close to that same number. And it's like okay, it's a thousand bucks, but you split that six ways. 
It's cheap. It's, it's that's, not very expensive. You no. can just show show up and shoot. It's it's not that expensive. Right, and he does the same thing. He provides ammunition, the whole ball, the whole ball of wax. Yeah, I mean, I think he was he was asking me last year because he was having. He 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 loves for his for his clients. He's always looking for federal the blue box stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. The that hot. The, I think it's um, federal speed shock. It's affordable, and it smokes the snot out of birds. And so he's always like, and he was asking me, he's like, you want to get any of that stuff? And it just so happened that the the one of the local stores I'd just seen a case of it, and I was like, you better run down there and grab it. So he so he did, but. That's one of the things that guys show up. Here's a box of shells. Here's a box of shells. Oh, you need more? Yeah. Like yesterday morning, <laughs> box after box. You know, I, I haven't shot like that since I was 12. <laughs> Just like a child, man. Just pulling the trigger and probably laughing maniacally the whole time I was doing it. Well, you, you ended up with a blue thumb from loading shells, didn't you? I bent, yeah, I bent my... Uh, oh, that was like that. I, pi- I shut that in my pickup door. <laughs> okay. Few, well, you did that in your shotgun. Back. I was like, whoa. <laughs> no, I bent my, but I bent the thumbnail completely back. Yeah. Shoving shells in the loading port. Brink! That old Savage Renegade operates super smooth, but I, st- I got a little excited and jammed her in there a little too hard. <laughs> but, no, it was super cool. So... If folks want to, folks want to do this. How do they do it? How do they get? How do they go about that? I'm pretty active on social media at Kyler Knelson on Instagram or Facebook, Wingmaster Outfitting Adventure Northwest on Facebook, or uh, or go to our webpage. The, the new website is uh, just launched. It's not it's not done yet, but it's uh, you were working on that. Yeah, I was working on it here the other day. So it, it by the time this podcast drops, it should be in pretty good shape. Uh, so that's www.wingmasteroutfitting.com or uh, or call me, 780-247-0247. Okay, and because it's a podcast, you can play that back multiple times to get the number. <laughs> <laughs> Hit the rewind button. Hit the rewind Which, button. all that info is on the, on the website, too. Right. Yeah. So. yeah, right. Well, this is a first-class operation, guys, and I don't, whether it's, whether you're looking for waterfowl, I, I think if you're going to come up, if you're in the States and you're going to come up here and, and do this, do the bear, do the bear water, bear, bear waterfowl combo. It's, I've never, I've never, like I said, before we start, before we heard about it, I never heard of anything like it. And then the more I thought about it, I went, that makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't you do that? And as the summer rolled on and anticipation grew and Brandon was, I'm out at Brandon's house, we're shooting bows and he's like, is it starting to like sink in what we're going to go do? I was like, <laughs> I've been wanting to do this since I was a little boy. Yeah. And now we're going to go home tomorrow. And I don't want to go home. I miss my, <laughs> it I miss my fast. family. But it this fast. week's been a blur. And br- it's, it, it's funny because it's gone really fast, but it feels like I've been here for a month at the same time. It's just been yeah. awesome. And this cabin, first class first class both your wives cook and feed us and like i said i think i've gained weight on this trip <laughs> thank you it's more really what really what i needed but it i mean that's a testament to, to the food it's top notch and, and you ha- actually have a warning on your website i do it says if you're on a diet leave it at home and it's 
pretty good warning. Yeah, those cinnamon it's pretty rolls, accurate. Those cinnamon rolls that your wife made the other day, Norman. Oh man, oh, man. I think there's three of them left in there. What do you say we and we knock this off and go get a cinnamon roll? I think so. Sounds I need some energy for the bear hunt. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Thank you guys for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for Thank having you us. For having us, absolutely. Anytime up here, it's been a pleasure. And I look forward to coming back. Like I said, I I can't promise you when, but I can tell you that it's probably going to happen. So. Sounds awesome. Good. Well, let's go get a bear. All righty.